Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, how you feeling on this Sunday? Uh, you know, good and, good and bad. Had Oklahoma State football yesterday, and I'm very sleep-deprived from the Solheim Cup. But uh, I've got a lot of caffeine in my system, and because I was up all night, I have pages of notes on Oklahoma State football, so I am ready to roll. Well, I don't have a ton to break down, so I'm glad you have a ton of notes because I I mean, what we watched against Iowa State was more of the same, not a good football team, maybe even worse coached football team than they are talented. But um, before we get into that, we want to thank Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at Chris University Spirit. We appreciate them being with us. Uh, Chris's is loyal and true. They're there in Stillwater. You know where the, where to find them. And uh, there's gonna be a lot of loyal and true folks still making the trek to to Stillwater each weekend when they're they're at home. And if you do that, you know where to go. Head to Chris's, and we appreciate them sponsoring the podcast as always. Well, Colby, you have pages on pages of notes. Where would you like to uh, begin this? Let's call it an exercise because it's it's gonna be a, a workout getting in all the things that are wrong with Oklahoma State football. Yeah, I mean, we can just start with what we saw on the field yesterday. And uh, Carson, the three-quarterback system, for at least a day, it's gone. We had a quarterback yesterday. It was, I would say, a mixed bag. Um, the timing with the receivers was was way off. There were some overthrows. Can't imagine why they didn't have any, any timing locked down by the fourth game of the season. That's weird for a starting quarterback and wide receivers to be so out of sync the fourth game of the year. Um, but yeah, Alan Bowman is at least for a day, QB one. What, what were your thoughts? Um, whenever you saw the uh, report from Hunziker before the game that Bowman was going to be the one. Well, I was surprised first off, but this is how the season should have started. I think Bowman should have played the entirety of every game to this point. And then at that point, if he's not getting the job done, you go to somebody else. Um, I've never understood the three quarterback rotation. I think and I'm not here to absolve Alan Bowman. I thought he could have been far more accurate than he was. I uh, missed missed a lot of throws on Saturday. I also thought he made. I also thought he almost single handedly kept Oklahoma State in the game with some of the plays he was able to make with his legs and with his arm. So it was it was a mixed bag, and I, I thought he looked Colby like a guy who hadn't gotten to play a whole lot this year, and that, which is again a just complete and total indictment of this coaching staff. Um, but credit to them for actually picking a guy and playing him the entire of the game because they scored seven last week against one of the worst pass defenses in the entire country, could barely cross midfield. The one time they scored with Gunner in there, it was a 17-play dink-and-dunk clock-killing drive. Uh, here, they actually were able to you know, punch back and, and stay in the game when their defense was just giving up touchdown after touchdown. So I, I thought oh. Bowman did good, and, um, it, the, and I – let me just go ahead and get into this, Colby, because I get so many tweets after the game. <laughs> Bowman's still your guy. Bowman's still your Bowman stinks, man. Why do you like Bowman? Well, can we evaluate Bowman based on the rest of the room? It's like it's like they won't they want to tear down Bowman, but have no other other option, which is completely BS. Like, and look, 
if you if you were to tell me that Mike Gunny's going to play Rangel the entirety of next week, I'd be fine with that. I wouldn't even criticize that move. I, I think Rangel has been severely hampered by this rotation, perhaps more than anybody. I mean, think about it, Colby. He plays week one against UCA, plays the first four series of the entire season, plays basically the last few series against Arizona State, preserving a lead and actually led a touchdown drive. It hasn't really been seen much since. And he might be the best quarterback on the roster for all we know. The sample size is too small. So I think Bowman played good, good enough to to win the game if their defense has a pulse. Iowa State's horrible offensively, which we'll get to. But I thought Bowman played good enough. And and the amount of criticism he's getting, I, I, I find frankly ridiculous. Uh, yeah, look, Brandon Whedon's not walking through that door. Mason Rudolph's not walking through that door. They they don't have a Heisman candidate stashed on the bench, folks, okay? I mean, hey, maybe Zane Flores is that guy. We don't know. He's the only one we haven't seen. You're absolutely right that Rangel is the guy who really kind of got shafted by the rotation. He got the worst shifts in the first two games. Um, and then in the third game, you barely saw him. It was 33-7. to seven. They were uh, getting their brains beat in whenever he came in the game. You, you, you say you give him credit for picking a guy. Uh, maybe it's the lack of sleep. That has me just a little worked up. I I don't give him any credit. You you did it a month too late. I mean, maybe if you pick a guy coming out of camp like you should have done, maybe you have some chemistry and some rhythm by the time you get to South Alabama. Maybe you don't lose to South Alabama and Iowa State, two of the most winnable games on your schedule. Now, as we look at it, I mean, you're coming out of September two and two. There aren't a lot of wins left. I can maybe see, look, Cincinnati, they're not a very good team. Houston, they're not a very good team. BYU, they're very average. I, I don't think Oklahoma State by any means is getting to six, but they could win a couple. These are they're 19, 20, 21-year-olds. People have good days. People have bad days. Maybe if you come out of September 4-0, and you, you have a little rhythm. You feel better about yourself. You can get to a bowl game. They picked a quarterback a month too late. And did Bowman play out of this world yesterday? No, he did not. Did he play okay? Yeah, he played okay. And and I think that that's about what I expected from a guy who has gotten a handful of series here and a handful of series there and is playing in what has been a bad, bad, bad offense. Um, I, I did some research in the middle of the night, Carson, as I was watching the Solheim Cup because, and I texted you this last night. I'm watching this Oklahoma State offense, and I, I just – I start thinking about Spencer Sanders because I had the Ole Miss game up on the left TV, Oklahoma State in the middle yesterday. They were playing at the same time. And Ole Miss was absolutely anemic offensively. Jackson Dart was no good. And uh, Lane Kiffin left him out there all game. And I'm like, Spencer's not even going to get a chance? He's not even going to get a chance to come out there and move the ball? So I just wanted to go look up some of the previous offenses that at times Spencer Sanders made Casey Dunn offenses look competent. Oklahoma State now has still not scored 30 points. Spencer led Oklahoma State to the victory against Texas on October 22nd last year. That was the game in which he got hurt. They came out next week, got pummeled in Manhattan, and Spencer didn't play again until Bedlam when he was still hurt. It's not a coincidence that Oklahoma State has not scored at least 30 points since Spencer Sanders got hurt last year, was no longer himself. Uh, They played 10 games since then. Eight of them are without Spencer. They haven't gotten to 30. In Spencer's career, Every game of which was played with Casey Dunn as his offensive coordinator, who now we know the sample size is big enough. He is not a good OC. He will probably have a legacy as one of the poorest Oklahoma State offensive coordinators, um, certainly in the modern era. Spencer Sanders' uh, teams scored at least 30 points 
25 times. And I didn't count the Ellingworth games. I didn't count any Drew Brown games, only Spencer games. 25 times, 0 for 10 since he got hurt last year. He played against Kansas State and Oklahoma. Brennan Presley seemingly doesn't exist anymore. They can't get him into space. They can't get him in, They can't get him the ball. We've seen him have talent. We know that if he can get the ball in the open field, he can make guys miss. With Spencer Sanders, bowl game against Miami in 2020, six for 118 and three touchdowns. The next year, 2021, in Ames, where you were at yesterday, six for 84 and two touchdowns in a game that was your only regular season uh, loss of that year. Against Notre Dame, 10 for 137, eight for 86 against Baylor last year, six for 60 and a touchdown against Texas, nine for 118 against Oklahoma. Carson, I'm watching what's going on, and I understand the frustration with the quarterback position. Guess what? You think they got it wrong this year coming into the fall with just these three? They got it wrong last January when they let the guy who allowed this thing to be remotely competent on that side of the ball walk out the door. He would have become the winningest quarterback in school history had he come back this year. You likely don't have the mass exodus of transfers you had with the wide receivers. There was a good chunk of this fan base happy to see him go. I think there was a good coach, of the, good chunk of the coaching staff happy to see him go. And I'd really like to know how those people are feeling today because we did not give him enough credit for propping up a bad offense with bad offensive lines and a bad offensive coordinator what we are watching now is not just the culmination of not being able to pick a quarterback in fall camp this goes back to last january whenever you let what looking back now is one of the most successful quarterbacks in school history considering all the circumstances you let him walk out the door and this is this is the result i just i'm I'm looking these things up in the middle of the night carson and i'm losing my mind i i just i am so frustrated with what has happened from we have a logo too to Dave Hunziker on the on the call talking about this is a program with culture to where we are today. This thing has fallen off a cliff, and the head coach, Mike Gundy, is responsible because he made the decisions that got him here. Absolutely, and I, I'm so glad you brought this up. It, it's easy to forget how good OSU was offensively through the first five, six weeks last year when they lost to TCU in week six, I believe it was. I mean, they were, Colby, they were like top five in the country in, in output, and with the same coaching staff we're watching who can't coach their way out of a paper bag. That's how good Spencer Sanders was. I mean, remember the game? What was the game where he was hurt and came back in and just they just lit it up? Was that the uh, Texas Tech game, maybe? Are you, um, I know last year he came in uh, in the Iowa fourth State. quarter of the Iowa, Iowa State game. The Iowa yeah, State could, game. Yeah, yeah, it was the fourth quarter of the Iowa State game last That's year. That's what it was. Yeah, just immediately comes in, scores, they win the game. Um, so – no, and, and this is the point I made a, a couple of weeks ago. I think the re, like when people ask me what's wrong with OSU, it's Mike Gundy's stubbornness, his ego, and his hubris has led to this point. He couldn't swallow his pride with Spencer Sanders, even though that was the best thing for his football program. Didn't care. Doesn't care. Um, you know, we don't, we're not privy to all the conversations and, and what really went down, but the bottom line is, do you want to win football games with someone you don't like or lose nearly every game you play with someone you do like? And it, it appears to me that Mike Gunny chose the latter. And, and, and here, and here's the thing we Colby, we, we can talk about Bowman and Rangel and Gunner and, and why didn't they bring Spencer back? Here's, here's the main issue. And I'm curious to get your thoughts. This broken 
beat up bed that you should throw out on big trash day in your front yard and never look at again. This bed was made when Mike Gundy berated Marshall Scott from pistols firing and who had the nerve to ask a very common straightforward question about will he retain his staff he retained an inept offensive staff this is the bed this broken beat down stinky mattress with stains all over it this is the bed that Mike Gundy's made and this is the one he's gonna have to lie in and Colby it's gonna get way worse because Iowa State's a mirror image of OSU and they just they just beat them pretty handily I mean OSU made it interesting late but I don't think there was any doubt Iowa State was winning that game. So it it stops and starts with Mike, and we'll get into what in the world's going to go on from here, but it's amazing that Mike expected different results. It really is, and to me that just reeks of ego, stubbornness, or maybe even complacency because he's making a ton of money, and I don't know if he – to me, <laughs> it doesn't seem like he really cares, Colby. Is that going too far? Because I've yet to see one sentence from Mike that tells me he gives a rip. And he's not just going to collect his check and move on down the road. I, I think that he cares deeply about Oklahoma State football. I think he has devoted most of his life to Oklahoma State football. And I think he wants Oklahoma State football to be successful. I think he also has a great disdain for modern college football. I, I think that we've seen that. He says it. He talks about it in his pressers. He talks about Alabama. They don't, South Alabama, they don't have kids worried about NIL. They've got kids that want to play football. Well, didn't they get beat by Central Michigan yesterday? I, I feel like I saw that somewhere, that they lost they to did. Central Michigan. They, they lost to Central Michigan, which which we should just deem the Gundy Bowl. He's lost to Central Michigan <laughs> and, and, and South Alabama. The Gundy Bowl ended with the Chippewas uh, beating big, bad South Alabama, whom whom Mike Gundy tried to tell us was like this big physical brawn brawnish football team that you know doesn't care about NIL and can really you know go to war with anybody. They, no, they didn't. No, they can't. They're still South Alabama. Sorry. Continue. Yeah. No, you're right. And and you know I listened to his his press conference. I watched it. <clears throat> pardon me. I watched it this morning. Um, and he talked about the run game. You know, ran the ball better yesterday. You were you ran the ball better because of one play. Ollie got to the corner on one play and took it 71 yards. Now, again, that play counts, and that play led to a touchdown. You can't just take it away. But aside from that, it was 24 carries for 60 yards. That's 2.6 yards per carry. That was from pistolfiringblog.com. Now on Twitter, from Robert Wetzel, Oklahoma State ran 72 plays yesterday, 409 yards. That's 5.68 yards per play. Six plays accounted for 216 yards of those, which means 66 plays netted 193 yards for 2.92 yards per play. This is an offense, Carson, that is unable to sustain drives. That, that's not meant to, to nitpick stats and, and take big plays off the board. Big plays matter, but you're not playing Iowa State every week. You're playing defenses that are going to have a lot more speed than Iowa State does. Their scheme is great. All that, that's all fine. Um, they, they haven't played anybody Worth, worth their salt. Iowa can't score. Uh, they got shut out yesterday. They played Northern Iowa, Iowa, and Ohio. Those those were their non-conference games. <laughs> and Oklahoma State had a, a handful of big plays yesterday that made the offense look competent. They can't sustain drives. They still can't run the ball. And, and Carson, the big problem is there's no one in space. I mean, yes, there were a couple defensive breakdowns yesterday. Lyric Rawls was hurt. Uh, we'll, we'll get to the Oklahoma State defense more. But how about the fact that Alan Bowman is is actually decently mobile a little bit yesterday? 
How many times did he have to throw the ball away after four or five seconds because no one has more than a yard of separation? Maybe that's partially on the receivers for not getting open. Maybe Bowman's not making some of the right reads. Again, I don't have access to the All-22. I can't sit down and watch it from a bird's-eye view. But when, I, but when you see your quarterback having four and five seconds as he's rolling out of the pocket and rolling toward the sidelines and still having to throw the ball away what felt like 15 times yesterday – no one is in space. Again, they don't use motion. They don't move anyone around. They line up in the same formations. They run the same routes. It's, it's football in a phone booth. I just, it is so, so hard to watch. Everything offensively looks hard. There's no easy yards. There's no easy points. The play action isn't effective. It, um, yeah, it's just, it's tough. It's tough to watch right now what, what's happening to Oklahoma State football. Um, and, and again, we have a logo too. That that's so recent, Carson. That is so recent. Hans Eicher on the call <laughs> after that, that Texas long ago. game. Hans Eicher on the call after that Texas game, talking about this being a, a program with a winning culture, and that's why they were able to eke it out over Texas. That is so recent, and this program has fallen so far, and the shifts in modern college football are so fast that if you lose it, it's harder than ever to get it back because so many things have to go right to build it up with NIL and the portal and all these other schools and the money flying around all over the place, and Oklahoma State has lost it in 11 months. They were the number eight team in the country after that Texas game a year ago. The the season prior, they were a yard away in the Big 12 championship game from going to the college football playoff. And now they are a laughing stock of the Power Five. It, it, the, the success is so recent, and the fact that it has fallen so quickly off the cliff is such an indictment of every decision that has been made over the last, um, let, let's call it, ten to twelve months. Well, and I, again, like I was always been being viewed as too negative, and and the reason why I criticized Oklahoma State football and the job Mike Gundy was doing was. This was kind of who they were, and I, it's amazing. Like it, it really shines a light on what you've already discussed with how good Spencer Sanders was, and just what a once in a lifetime defense that was with Jim Knowles. I mean, they, how much they just caught lightning in a bottle. You remember that Texas Tech game in Lubbock where Tech literally couldn't cross the fifty? Like that's that was like the most dominant defense I think I've ever seen, and they went end up winning the Fiesta Bowl because of basically Spencer and Malcolm Rodriguez and company, and. They don't have a ton of talent anywhere else. Now that those two main cogs are gone, this is what you're left with. And it's just that 2021 season is just a complete aberration with the, with the level of defense they played. And I, I'm so glad you brought up the Robert Wetzel tweet. I mean, again, it's 66 plus, let's see here, uh, 80, 89 plays essentially average two and a half yards. Just just above two and a half yards. That's that shows you the level of like it's it's hard to be worse on offense than what Oklahoma State is right now. And again, I, I will just go back to it. Colby, Oklahoma State needs an absolute reboot. This is so similar to me to where Bob Stoops was. I, I covered the game where they got absolutely annihilated by Clemson. I think it was like 40 to 3. 48 to three, maybe to, to Cole Stout at quarterback that Deshaun Watson was hurt. They didn't even have their quarterback and they ran OU off the field and their offense was horrible. Colby, do you think it was tough for Bob Stoops to fire Josh Heupel, the guy who won him a national championship, his only national championship? Do you think that was a tough, a tough call, a tough decision? Uh, yeah, I imagine that was a little tricky. 
And did Bob Stoops start? And did Bob Stoops start cussing out reporters for asking if if Josh Heupel would be retained? Bob Stoops did what he had to do. And and the answer is he did not. He knew he walked into that room knowing there were some tough questions coming his way, and he had to sit there because he makes you know millions and millions of dollars to answer those questions. And and I, I will always respect Bob for that. Bob was not very likable, frankly. He was not very nice to be around, but he understood the job of the media and he, he'd answer tough questions when he had to. And I find Mike in this exact, like, OU had gotten so stale. Their offense had gotten so bad. They didn't have a whole lot of talent on offense. And what does he do, Colby? He, he fires Hypel. He fires his O-line coach, total reboot. And it's, it, it's looked at now as this like genius decision to hire Lincoln Riley. Colby, if you were on any OSU message board in the last 15 years, Lincoln Riley's name was all over those things as an OC candidate for Oklahoma State. It was obvious. He's a Mike Leach disciple. Did Mike Gundy go hire him? No. He went and hired, you know, Sean Gleason. Or maybe he hired Yersich back then. I'm getting my timelines confused. Yeah, that, 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 was, that was more Yersich. That was Yersich era, I believe. Even still, would you rather have Lincoln Riley or Mike Yersich? I think Mike yeah. Yersich did a great job, but he's not Lincoln Riley. Uh, but that's where they're at, Colby. They they need a total reboot, and look what happened. Lincoln Riley gets there, just keeps that freight train rolling down in Norman, and the rest is history. Um, so it's it's clear as day what, what has to happen. Mike Gundy has to fire his offensive staff because when you throw that out there, what we saw again, again, you're right. The, the big play by Ollie was basically the gist of the running game for the whole day. So it's it's bad. They need a reboot offensively. Carson, what more notes do you have? Um, let, let's flip to the other side of the football. Do the we three, have three, to? Five, the 3-3-5, three, three, Carson, was a 3-3-0 three, three, yesterday. Where was the secondary? Where are all the breakdowns? What are these 18-yard cushions that were given guys coming out of the slot? A safety slips. Yeah, but yeah, it's an 18-yard cushion. The guy comes underneath on a post after three linebackers bite on a play action when Iowa State can't run the ball for a yard. I mean, what happened defensively yesterday? Well, they didn't have Lyric Rawls, and they completely exposed a few guys in the secondary, mainly Epps. And we've kind of seen this throughout the year, Colby. Like, the slot guys are the guys that are killing them over the middle, and they just they completely – I don't know what it is about a Nardo's scheme – but they they let guys just they just let them go un, unaccounted for I and mean, it's just pitch and catch easy touchdown. Um, so I, I I don't know, Colby. Like I think the defense is at this point right now is just as big of an issue as the offense, which is it's just a, a total mouthful to say because they they'll play well for spells, Colby. But if you're giving up like walk in wide open touchdowns if you let Rocco Becht who I said last week was the worst power five quarterback in the country and I stand by that he threw for 348 and three touchdowns and Colby did you see the the shot of him on the sideline after like his first couple touchdowns just the the complete disbelief and giddiness on his face he was smiling from ear to ear and just had this like kind of wow this is amazing I'm I'm doing great <laughs> that's what Oklahoma State did. They made Rocco Beck like beside himself that he was actually completing passes, let alone throwing touchdowns. That's that's how bad of an inept, inept performance it was, and that's just something that can't happen, Colby. If not, if this continues all year, I don't know if you can retain Nardo either. You might just clean house on both sides because you can't keep doing this. And I know they have a new scheme. I know it was a backup, but that 
that's inexcusable. Can't happen. Yeah, maybe you have to just completely scrap everything and start all the way over. I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. I think you're maybe being a little too hard on Rocco Becht because what happened was early in the game, there were just disastrous breakdowns, and they let what looked like a pretty bad quarterback through the non-con, right? Iowa State in the non-conference, 16.7 points, 270.3 yards per game. Again, that's against Northern Iowa, Iowa, and Ohio. Very bad offense. Rocco Becht was very bad in the non-con. You have breakdowns early in that game, and then he built up some confidence. He made some throws while he was taking hits. Uh, Colin Oliver was very lucky not to get called for targeting. There was, I thought, a clear launch and follow-through to the head and neck area of a defenseless player. He stood in there and took the shot, threw a ball over the middle, uh, and completed it to a guy that, that was that was covered, essentially, on that play. So I think the breakdowns early gave Rocco back confidence. I think he actually played pretty well uh, in the second half of that game when Iowa State pulled away. Well, yeah. I mean, look who he's playing against. <laughs> I mean, defense was way worse. You're not wrong. I just, he, he made some good throws. The Oklahoma state defense was, was very poor last night. Um, and, and Carson, are we honestly shocked that another young quarterback that hasn't ever really done anything had his coming out party against Oklahoma state? (laughs) It's a tale as old as time. And I should have mentioned squinky when I was just railing on him, uh, in the, in the preview show, I, I will take blame for that. I, I incited squinky, but Hey, your boy Rocco Beck plays Oklahoma in Norman next week. I'll I'll give you whatever kind of odds you want on his numbers if if you think he's so good. Oh no, no, I I don't want any odds on his numbers. Oklahoma is going to annihilate Iowa State at the line of scrimmage. He's going to be running for his life next week. I I think I'm going to take a hard pass on that. It was it was an exceptionally poor defensive performance from Oklahoma State. Um, I I do again. We can just harp on the defensive breakdowns. That's what it was. It was defensive breakdowns. But I want to talk about a couple of in-game coaching moments where Mike Gundy made disastrous decisions. We've talked (laughs) about two weeks in a row, Carson, against Arizona State two weeks ago, against South Alabama last week, just delays of game inside the opponent's 10-yard line. How does that happen? I have no idea. Yesterday, Oklahoma State gets the ball before halftime. They're driving down, right? They're driving down. You're going down. You're trying to score a touchdown. Every point matters. The margin for error is small. Every second matters. Mike Gundy talked about it last night. They don't have the margin for error to be sacrificing yards, to be sacrificing points. So there was a third down conversion to Deshaun Stribling over the middle of the field that got them down to around the Iowa State, I don't know, 35-ish yard line maybe. 23 seconds left in the half after that third down conversion. 23 seconds. Oklahoma State has three timeouts at this point, Carson. Three. They don't roll over. You don't get extra timeouts in the second half. Oklahoma State does not take a timeout with 23 seconds on the clock to give them the maximum amount of time and the maximum chance to go down and try to put a touchdown on the board with a couple of big plays against a bad football team. No timeout. 23 seconds. The clock was stopped. I rewinded it, and I did the math. Ball was snapped with 20 seconds left. So it took three seconds off the clock to get the ball snapped. But... This is a a young team. They have no rhythm. They have no chemistry. Everything was out of whack. There was a hurried check down over the middle of the field for four yards. Oklahoma State then took its first timeout of the half with 12 seconds left on the clock. They took two timeouts to the locker room. That's my first coaching mistake, Carson. How does that happen? What is your head coach doing? You've got three timeouts. Use them! (laughs) 
Oh my God. My dad actually texted me the same thing as it was happening. I mean, again, like what, what is the conversation on the headset? Like what is Mike Gundy like making his to go order after the game? Like, is he just talking to Casey Dunn about hunting? Is he talking about his, his goats, his rattlesnakes? Cause he clearly isn't managing his clock management is among the worst I've ever seen. It's it. There is none. It's not as if he's doing it poorly. He's not doing it literally at all. And that is just so – Colby, they're not a talented football team, but they're worse coached. I mean, you got you got receivers, like the pick that Bowman had that seemingly everyone in my timeline wanted to just blame on Bowman. They had two guys in the exact same spot. Someone busted. Someone ran the wrong route. They're, that happened throughout the game. It seemed like Bowman didn't know where his receivers were going, and maybe that's on Bowman too. But again – He's being coached as well. They're a horribly, horribly coached team. And that used to be the hallmark of Mike Gundy's teams. They were well coached because they had to be. They weren't as talented as the guys they were playing against in the Big 12. But that's something you can control. You can't control your DB slipping on that horrible turf from Iowa State. You can't control that. You can control putting your hands together and making the T symbol to stop the clock when the halftime's running out. Colby, it makes no sense. Mike Gundy has done a horrible job with this team. You mentioned the rotating at, at quarterbacks, complete fail. The rotating at running backs, another complete fail. Ollie Gordon should have been the bell cow last year. He's just now getting the ball this far into the season. It's been a train wreck. And if I'm Casey Shrum and, and Chad Weiberg, I'm having some come-to-Jesus talks this week and every week the rest of the season with Mike Gundy. It has to happen. Uh, yeah, we, we can talk more about the game in the meantime, but something's got to give here. Yeah, the, the, the stuff that makes me the angriest is the easy, just run-of-the-mill, most basic eight-year-old that watches football every weekend can make the right decision, and somehow it, it just it can't happen if you're wearing orange. So the other one, and this is a decision that actually worked for Mike Gundy, but I'm here to tell you it was a disaster of a coaching decision. You're down 10 points in the third quarter on a crucial drive. The wind, Carson, they were showing the flags on the top of the field goal post. Oklahoma State winds up with a fourth and one at the Iowa State 36-yard line. A fourth and one. The wind is blowing 15, gusting to about 25. My mom texted from the stadium, said the wind was really gusty. When Mike Gundy runs Alex Hale out to kick what ended up being a career-long 53-yard field goal in a 15 to 25-mile-an-hour wind instead of going for it on fourth and one, the percentage chance of making that kick is so much lower than the percentage chance of getting that <laughs> yard. I, I couldn't believe he was running him out there, and I, I really couldn't believe he made it because it was such a hard kick in that wind. Um, that was, to me, another baffling call. That one wasn't nearly as bad as the timeout because, okay, you trust your kicker. You love your kicker. Gundy loves his kickers. Um, but, yeah, sending but, but, your hold kicker on. out. That, for, that's also him passing the buck. He doesn't know yes. what to call. Yes. Just, just run the kicker out. And if he misses it, well, hell, it's the kicker's fault, not my fault. You know, yeah. that's totally him passing the buck. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And and again, all the credit to Alex Hale. That was a great kick. I couldn't believe that he made it, but I also couldn't believe that Gundy ran him out there. Um, and, and if it hadn't gone That's a great in, point. You're, I'd you're, forgotten you're, that moment in the game. If, if it hadn't gone in, you're exactly right. In the post game presser, uh, Gundy would have said, "Yeah, you know, we, we need to 
to do a little better offensively. We had a couple breakdowns on the defense. We don't execute a kick. That's what he would have said in the post game. <laughs> had that had that one in ten chance field goal not gone in, that's what he would have said. Oh, oh that killed me, Colby. Want my microphone back on. It said it was off. Okay, it's back on. You're that. <laughs> <laughs> the one in ten chance field goal into the twenty mile an hour win. Phone doesn't work, but give me four, Colby. What do you? What else you got? Okay, now we're going big picture. While you get your microphone problems fixed out, um, I, I pulled from three different sources because I've seen different numbers about the Gundy contract. Um, so I pulled from three different sources. I, I found stories from Pokes Report, OKState.com, and uh, Boardroom, Boardroom.tv. I think that had some some good breakdowns of Mike Gundy's contract. So I just want to clearly lay this out for everyone, so everyone knows exactly what we're dealing with. I spent a half hour verifying these numbers this morning at like 3 a.m. and getting this all together. So we all know there's an annual one-year extension on Mike Gundy's contract. The the five-year contract, it always is a five-year contract. There's also an annual $125,000 escalator. He just gets 125K raise every year, no matter what. So this season, um, he his total with his million-dollar year-end bonus that he gets as a stay-on bonus at the end of the calendar year, if he's still the head coach, he gets a million-dollar bonus. $7.525 million is his total with the year-end bonus this year. That's going up $125K every year. $8.025 million is what Oklahoma State would be paying Mike Gundy to be the head coach if he is still around in 2027. Now, let's talk buyout because – Things get pretty interesting when we talk buyout. So after the 2022 season, and nobody was advocating for Gundy to be fired after the 2022 season, I'm just laying out the details. The buyout would have been 62.5% of the total of the five-year contract, not including that year-end bonus. So it would just be, uh, that's calculated using his total base pay, talent fee, and retirement contribution, which is the uh, $6.525 million base salary before you add in the million dollar bonus. So you add all that up. And now on January 1st, 2023, the buyout jumps to 75%. Mike Gundy has, I think what has to be one of the only contracts in the history of coaching where the buyout goes up every year. It's 75% of that number every year after 2023, If they were to fire him after this season, that buyout would be, by my math, $25.4 million. And Carson, due to the annual raise, that buyout, and again, this is chump change when we're talking about $25.4 million, but the buyout will increase by 75% of that $125,000 raise every year. So the buyout's going to go up by $93,750 a year. This contract is the most insane thing I have ever seen in my life. And I am here to tell you right now that those people in those offices better figure something out. I don't know if you renegotiate the contract to make it more school-friendly. I don't know if you somehow scrap together $25.4 million. People talk about the recruiting budget, this, that, and the other. What? Where's the money coming from when it's all going to the head coach who can't call a timeout with 23 seconds left in a half (laughs) of football? Guess what, administration? You broke it. Now you have to buy it. It's the worst contract I have ever seen for a school. It is When I really dove into it, it it just is truly unbelievable. I didn't realize the buyout went up. I thought it went down just like every other one. That's news to me. Yeah, no, it's just it's 75% every year. And because his salary goes up every year, the 
the buyout goes up right. by, yeah. by the, that same amount every year. Well, the question I, I posed this question to the folks on the chamber on on PFP. I was I'm curious to get your thoughts as well. So, like, you did far more research than I did, but you're paying him seven and a half to eight million dollars a year for the next five years. That's way more money than twenty one. I think the buyout would be what twenty one million dollars this year, twenty five somewhere in there. Twenty five point four. Would you rather pay Mike? Seven and a half to eight million dollars for the next five years, or and and continue to watch this sinking ship for a guy who doesn't care about NIL, makes fun of people who do, who got run off his home field by South Alabama. You won't you want to pay that for another five years, or you just want to eat it for a year, hire a coach who cares about recruiting in NIL and move on down the road? Because again, OU and OSU and Mike Gundy are married. I don't think they're firing him, Colby, but. That's a that's a genuine question I have if you're the power brokers at Oklahoma State. Which would you rather do? Pay him for another five years for this or cut your losses, give him the Gary Patterson treat? We'll build you a statue, Mike. We'll even put a shiny mullet on it and move on down the road. I think a lot of people are moving toward uh, that route than paying him another five years. Yeah, when it's all said and done and we're not in the middle of it, that's when it will be time to thank Mike Gundy for everything that he has done for Oklahoma State because his impact on the university is is priceless. Um, no, actually, it's not priceless. We just, we just went through the numbers. But when it's all done and we're not in the middle of it, that's when we can thank Mike Gundy for everything he's done. But right now, we have to talk about what is best for the Oklahoma State University football program. And what would be best would be to rip off the Band-Aid. Carson, you, you talk about NIL. And again, when Mike Gundy started in 2005, he was coaching kids that were born in the 80s, that grew up in the 90s. Google started in what, 1998? He was coaching kids from a very different era. He's now coaching kids that grew up in the 20-teens. Carson, five years ago, he was calling kids snowflakes and saying that they're too soft. That was before NIL. That was before <laughs> the transfer portal. He didn't already like the new era of kids. The kids are only getting... I don't, I don't know if you want to say softer. I don't even know if it is softer. Times are just changing. They're That's changing. what happens. The kids that grew up in the 90s, guess what? They were probably softer than the kids who grew up in the 70s, who were softer than the kids who grew up in the 50s. That's just how it works as time progresses. Mike Gundy seemingly wants to coach more kids that were born in the 80s. Guess what? That's not how this game is played. And I, I don't know. I just I, – I don't think that uh, – you know, he, he mentioned last week on his coach's show that he still – loves the part of the game where you go out and you try to put a game plan together to try to beat the opponent. And and I believe him. I believe that he still enjoys that part. But there is so much more to it whenever you are the CEO and some of the very important things in modern college football, NIL, transfer portal, recruiting players from high school, JUCO, other programs, and your own program to keep them to stay. I don't think he likes any of that. Um, yeah, again, I'm, I'm very much team rip the Band-Aid off, but I just – I don't know that it's going to happen. I – we might be stuck. I, I don't know. This contract is, it's insane. Well, what needs to happen is they sit down and like, we're, we're done with the rollover. The clock starts right now and you're hiring a new staff because season ticket holders, you know, they sold out season tickets and they made a big deal for it. Colby, if, if they run this thing back with Mike and the same staff, I don't think they're going to have a sellout to start week one. And I guarantee it's going to be mass exodus. Um, that, that just can't happen. So, that's what needs to happen. And and here's the thing. And yes, we all know Mike deserves statue, winning his coach. We we know we we've talked about that for years and years and years. 
But here's the deal. Oklahoma State wasn't even trying to win at football. No athletic department to speak of until Boone Pickens happened. Didn't have a stadium to speak of until Boone Pickens happened. And Mike Gundy happened right there with him. 2005. We have no clue what Oklahoma State football can be with or without Mike Gundy. Or we know we can be with him. We have no clue what it's going to be ultimately because Mike Gundy's been there literally since day one. Because again, before Boone Pickens, they were they were a little engine that could. They did their darndest, but they weren't even really trying to compete for Big 12 championships in football. They simply were not. So I I am very curious to see what this will look like whenever Mike Gundy is no longer the head coach. But I would just encourage encourage anyone that is still, you know, thinking OSU football is just going to go away without Mike Gundy. Mike Gundy benefited just as much from Boone Pickens as Boone Pickens benefited from Mike Gundy and OSU benefited from Mike Gundy because they literally weren't on a level playing field until that occurred. So I think the time's coming quick, Colby, way quicker than I expected after what's what's gone down this year. But Yeah, I, I, I saw no, people – I'm not going to fire them. They're married, right? Um, I, I really don't know at this point. It, it's – it's gone very, very quickly downhill. Um, I, well, here, I did here's the people... big question, Colby. They, yeah. They've played enough games now where they can start, start transferring. How many dudes on this team oh. are transferring after the um, bye week or during yeah, the bye week? I don't know about midseason transfers. I, I don't think you see a ton of that stuff. Because um, I don't, I don't know how appealing that is to other coaches and other programs and players' reputations and stuff like that. Uh, but there's a bunch of guys that I just I can't see any way that they come back next year. Maybe if there's a, a complete overhaul in the staff, maybe you get some guys back. Um, but but I do want to address, you You talk about people who are worried what the program will look like without Mike Gundy. And, and I saw some people on Twitter last night. I was reading a lot of stuff, trying to get the pulse of the fan base. And I saw a, a chunk of people on Twitter, in the mentions, just in replies, talking about, well, if you can't say who they would get that would be better, then you can't call for Mike Gundy's job. Do you know how many programs, how many programs there are in college football at the division one level, the division two level, the division three level playing football right now. Do you know how many coaches there are young, hungry coaches with a serious passion for this game? The passion, by the way, that Mike Gundy used to display with regularity. I mean, it's not my job to go out and pick out a name from 200 schools and sift through all that and find the right guy. That's the job of the administration. I've got other jobs. I do this. I work for NBC. I've got other things going on. I don't have time to go on a coaching search from 200 schools. That's what the administration gets paid to do. So go ahead and miss me with the, well, if you can't give me a name, then you can't say that they would call for his job. That is the worst argument ever. The people in charge, those are the ones who have to go out and find you a name. And I promise there are a bunch of young, hungry coaches who would love the opportunity to be in Stillwater. Yeah, and I, I mentioned I posted on the chamber, and I, I think this is a great response from TJNC. He says, the lost revenue revenue from viewership, attendance, and ticket sales will likely outweigh that 20-plus million-dollar buyout in the long run. Get a young coach who's into recruiting and can genuinely relate to the players. <laughs> you think you think Mike Gundy can relate to these guys? You think they're uh, listening to Zach Bryan with them? I, I doubt it. And he said, you'll win the team and fan base back quick. Example, Boynton may not have the results, but the fan base and players love him, and he recruits like an SOB. I think Boynton's a totally different comparison. I don't even want to bring him into this, but you're, that, that kind of goes along with your point, Colby, that it's not our job. Go hire him. Because, look, Mike Gunny makes $7.5 million a year in Stillwater, Oklahoma. You could hire a lot of dudes for half that 
that are probably outwork, out recruit, out coach Mike Gundy at this current state. That's a fact. Okay. That's just that's where we're at. And and I want to address one other thing that I saw last night. People talking about well, what coach would want to come in with this recruiting budget? Why do you think the recruiting budget is what the recruiting budget is? You're paying your head coach seven and a half million dollars, and he doesn't care about recruiting. He wants to turn two stars into five stars. And for a long time, exactly. he did it. Exactly. What, what, what's the priority? Exactly. But college football has changed. Guess what? If you go get a young, hungry coach that you're paying, I don't know, let's call it $2 million, frees up $5.5 million a year. Now, maybe you're a little financially strapped from having to pay the buyout, and, and maybe you don't have just all that money to pour back into the program. But I promise, if you're paying a head coach $2 million a year who's young, hungry, and wants to hit the recruiting trail every day, I bet that recruiting budget goes up from 400 and whatever thousand dollars it is, one of the worst in the Power Five. I bet that that skyrockets whenever you're paying, whenever you're not paying a coach who doesn't care about NIL and recruiting seven and a half million dollars. No, that's a that's a great point. So, uh, bye week, Colby. Uh, Oklahoma Ooh, State limps needed. into the bye week. Yeah, my uh, my blood pressure, my heart rate needs a bye week, Carson. I. Uh, Man, I am so sleep-deprived with so much caffeine pumped into my system. I don't know if people can tell or not. These overnights for the Solheim Cup, I've got overnights again next week for the Ryder Cup. So, uh, yeah, my sleep is just going to be all, all jacked for a couple of weeks. So next week will be nice to uh, to have an off weekend from Oklahoma State football and get some rest. You know what you really need? What's that? An ice-cold yingling. You're not wrong. How's that for a segue? Well done, sir. That's why they pay <laughs> you the big bucks. Yeah, it is time for the Toast of the Weekend, brought to you by Yingling, America's oldest brewery. they got a ton of great stuff for you. they got the traditional lager. They've got the light lager. They've got so many good flavors to check out. So we appreciate Yingling sponsoring the Toast of the Weekend. I'm going to have to try some of these. they got the Golden Pilsner, Colby. They've got the uh, Flight, which is clean and crisp. That's the lighter one, probably, for the for the for the folks that like that sort of thing. And I, but it's hard to go wrong with just the traditional yingling. So we, again, we, we appreciate yingling sponsoring the podcast. Uh, it's time to get to the uh, toast of the weekend, Colby. What do you, what do you got for us? Yeah. And we want to remind everyone, uh, despite what you're watching on your television on Saturdays, always drink your yinglings responsibly. Um, Carson, I knew what my toast of the week was going to be as soon as I saw it. And we already <laughs> talked about it earlier in the pod, Carson, <laughs> They're not within a touchdown late in that game if Alex freaking Hale does not go out from 53 yards in a 15, (laughs) 20-mile-an-hour crosswind and just drill one through the uprights in a game that was totally mired in mediocrity. Alex Hale, I mean, I I still can't believe that that kick went in uh, with that wind (laughs) whipping through the stadium at that point. There were storms rolling in. The wind was whipping. Alex Hale, toast of the week. My friend, well done, sir. That that oh, that slays me, oh. Carson. They don't have a chance. They don't <laughs> have a chance to even go on the game-winning drive if he doesn't make a an exceptionally difficult kick. By the way, did you feel at any point when they got the ball back they were going to go score? Because I I had no hope. No, I I didn't think so. No, I I actually kind of predicted a pick to end the game, and that's exactly what happened. <laughs> I mean, they were flirting with danger for so for. I mean, Alan Bowman again. I think he should have been the choice to be the quarterback. I still believe that. I wouldn't mind seeing Rangel. You could talk me into that as well. But he's not geared to throw the ball 48 times. He's just – he's not that guy. But he's the best of the three that I've seen in the limited sample size we've seen. So, and again, he invented three touchdowns basically on his own. I mean, again, Colby, did you find it humorous at all that the notion of simply motioning Jay Nixon out into the – out wide – 
and he goes on the fly route and Alan Bowman just throws a sheer dime. It it's like it's like Bill Walsh was back on the whiteboard diagramming some play, you know, that that's like the big brain buster for this offensive staff. Oh my god, they motioned a running back out wide and he ran a go route. And everyone on Twitter was like, "Oh, what a great call. What a great scheme." Like that's how bad OSU's offense is. That was considered earth-shattering. That that humored me as well. Yeah, you're right. And and you got a good point about Rangel throwing it 50 times. I, I don't think that that's his game. Um, I think, you know, do whatever you want with the quarterbacks until the last four games of the season. If if Flores doesn't get four, um, then what are you doing at that point? I don't Give him a chance. Get his feet wet. Let him know that you care about him and that you think that he could be the guy for the future. You still don't have to burn the red shirt. Um, that probably won't happen because he's just not ready. He's just not ready yet. Needs some more reps in practice. Needs to kind of get up to the speed of the game. So probably probably won't get those four games, but uh, I'd sure like to see it. Well, consider they didn't play Spencer Sanders the free amount of games with that red shirt rule. Why, why the heck would they do it for Flores? You know, that's just, again, more – more not putting the program above all else, in my opinion, is what that is. Uh, let's get to my, week? huh? Oh, I just said, who's your toast of the week? Yeah, I was getting to that. I was go with. Uh, I, I want to give it an honorary toast to your folks for making that horrendous trip to Ames, Iowa, having to sit in that gale force winds that Alex Hale was booting field goals through, and watching really an offense that would make Iowa blush. I, I want to give a toast to them. But my real toast goes to Ollie Gordon, 18 carries, 121 yards, had the 71-yarder. Uh, that really kind of salvaged the day on the running game for the team. But I'll, I, they at least tried to get him the ball, Colby. But this offensive line is so bad that Ollie's pretty much going to have to make chicken salad out of chicken something else. But you saw, you saw the sheer talent. You saw why he should get the most carries. Uh, he's been as mismanaged as the quarterbacks to this point in this season, and I just hope he stays because he, he's a, he's an, an elite talent that I think has has a real chance to be a special player. He's still so young. Yeah, yeah. The seventy-one yard touchdown run was was beautiful. Um, and again, we've been talking about it since they brought him in. You you coming out of high school, we're talking about this guy's athleticism, the the combination of size, speed, and agility. Like man, I just. Um, I wish Oklahoma State could make the absolute most of it, and and they're just not. But at least he was the bell cow yesterday. At least, I mean, 18 carries? Where's that been? Golly. I mean, Bowman and Ollie, the offense at least didn't look totally constipated all day yesterday. Uh, again, you were just a month late making your decisions. <laughs> Sorry, I got a text. I missed that joke. What, what was the joke? Oh, I just I just said Bowman and Ollie, the offense at least didn't look totally constipated yesterday. Um <laughs> But you were a month late making your decisions. So, I mean, there, you don't get consolation prizes. This is Division One football. This is $7.5 million. No consolation prizes. No credit for making the the maybe right decision a month late. No, exactly. No, you're right. And, again, thanks to Yingling. Uh, that's our toast of the weekend. Colby, who would you start at quarterback after the bye week? Oh, man, against Kansas State. Um, gosh. Probably Bowman. Again, the, the offense didn't look – totally constipated yesterday the timing with the receivers was off and if if you're trying to win games I don't know I think you just have to leave a guy out there and let him try to get comfortable with his receivers um let Bowman get some more games some more reps under his belt and put Ollie out there with him give Ollie you know another 18 20 touches that's probably the route that I would go um if they start Rangel and give him an entire game that that wouldn't bother me either I just I don't know. I think it could be ugly against Kansas State. So I, I don't know that either guy's going to have a ton of success. But again, it's college football. It's 19, 20, 21 year olds. Uh, we've seen crazier things. So I would probably 
go Bowman and let them try to build some chemistry. That's who I would go with. And I, I want to push back on something that's just been all over Twitter too. It's like, well, you know, Rangel's the younger guy. So there's no sense in playing a six year senior. Uh, you got to play the younger guy guys. Garrett Rangel could transfer if he played every down for the rest of the year this year. He, and he might. It's not like playing Garrett Rangel is going to ensure that he stays on campus. Now, if you want to argue it's time to develop him, okay, I'll, I'll listen. Again, I'm, I wouldn't oppose playing him. I think he's shown a lot in a very small sample size. Um, I liked – I wanted Bowman to be the guy. He had his shot. Couldn't get it done against Iowa State. If you want to throw Rangel out there for Kansas State, I'm fine with that. I'd probably go with Bowman for a half, and if they're, you know, playing at a similar level with him, I'd give Rangel the rest away. That's you cut out on us there for a second. Are you back? Yeah. Yeah. You said if you want to give uh, Rangel the, the shot the rest of the way, and then you cut out. Uh, rest of the way in the in the the game against Kansas State. And now I'm on mute. What a uh, what, what a calamity here at the end. Um, yeah, you were just talking about Rangel, the quarterback situation, uh, and what you think it should look like moving forward. Yeah, like I don't know where I dropped off, but again, like if you want to play him a half after, if, I would start Bowman, play him until the wheels fall off. If they look, if it looks similar like did against Iowa State, I I wouldn't be opposed to letting Rangel play the rest of the way. Yeah, I wouldn't either. He's younger. Um, I don't know. Maybe you see if there's something there for the future and, and let him get some reps, let him get some chemistry, see what you've got. Um, again, I'm still just fingers crossed and, and holding out hope that we get Flores for the final four games of the season. Um, and as I say that out loud, I realize now that the fourth to last game of the year is against Oklahoma. So maybe you you play him in the fifth in the fifth to last game of the year against Cincinnati and then the last three games because there's no way you can run Zane Flores out for the final bedlam. No way. My God, that's going to be just... That's going to be a seal clubbing, that game. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. I've got a glass half full take. Are you ready? I've just been torching everything for the last hour. I've got a glass half full take. You start Bowman and Ollie. That's your combination moving forward. You play them through Bedlam. You let the offensive build chem- You let the offense build chemistry, and you try to play the biggest spoiler of all time and win uh, the final bedlam. <laughs> yes, it is a serious long shot, but if you keep rotating things and no one gets chemistry, it's certainly not going to happen. Bowman and Ollie, at least through bedlam, try to beat OU. If you do that, I mean, that'll at least salvage something if you win the last one at home, Carson. Make that your just your your absolute Super Bowl, which again, I think Iowa State kind of treats Oklahoma State like their Super Bowl. I'm surprised they didn't rush the field on Saturday. Uh, I don't. I don't hate that logic. I don't hate that optimism. It, it would be the uh, equivalent of playing the worst round of golf of your life, and then you like ace the seventeenth. It would. It, that that's what it would be. <laughs> uh, a few more notes I had before we get out of here. Uh, Chris's University Spirit uniform review. Appreciate Chris's. Uh, what'd you think of the OSU unis? Um, I sh- thought the OSU unis looked good. I thought the combination of uniforms on the field looked way too much like a checkerboard. I, I didn't love the white, white, black for Oklahoma State, and then the just all black with all white lettering for Iowa State. It was it was way too black and white checkerboard for me. Uh, so I would have liked to seen us throw some orange in, knowing that they were doing the blackout. So individually, I thought that Oklahoma State's uniforms looked good, but I didn't love the overall combo for what I ended up watching for three and a half hours. I didn't like the orange numbers with the black pants, and maybe they were just 
countering Iowa State for some unknown reason wearing all black. Uh, but they should have worn black numbers with the black pants. I didn't think they looked good. And Colby, it's such a Mickey Mouse high school move to wear all black when it's not your school colors. And look, I get it. Look, you're Ronald McDonald. You're red and yellow. Those are your colors. That's unfortunate. It's hard to hard to look at. I can I can empathize with that. I, I certainly certainly understand why you would not want to look like Ronald McDonald, Iowa State. But wearing all black is one of the weakest high school. Uh, coach, coach, we'll look so cool if we wear all black. I know it's not a school color, but man, we'll look tough. It's just, it's so Iowa State that it hurts, and it's just, and they always seem to wear it against the one school who school color is black. And I'm looking at you too, TCU. You're purple and white. Stop wearing black. Sorry. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on Oklahoma State's opponents wearing all black against them. It is annoying. It's it's just it's bush league. That's what it is. Uh, anything that we need to hit on here? Um, we pretty much roasted Casey Dunn again. Charlie Dickey can um somehow the offensive line is getting worse. Uh, the defense couldn't cover anyone. Did, did, did that? Did we cover everything? Did that, uh, that about sum I, it up? I think we got to it all. I think we did. Um, there was a lot to digest in there, but yeah, I, I think we hit it all. It's just, it's ugly right now. Hopefully they make some strides in the bye week. Um, again, I think you need some consistency moving forward. Try to play spoiler in the Bedlam game. Um, you know, OU's a good team, but they're not a great team. They're not a national title contender or anything like that. So I don't know. It's unlikely, but that's, that's my one thing I'm keeping my fingers crossed for. Uh, Iowa had 76 total yards. I'll end it with that. Iowa Hawkeyes had 76 yards total. So I guess what I'm saying, Colby, is it could be worse. You know, over the last 10 games, Oklahoma State's averaging less points than Iowa. Oh, my God. That, 20 and change for Iowa, 19 and change for Oklahoma State for each each school over the last 10 games. And then you got – and I'll, I'll give Brian Ferentz credit. The offensive coordinator, coach's son is the OC. Another, another case of nepo- – the, the irony that there's nepotism going on at OSU and Iowa is not lost on me, by the way. But this guy's tweeting, like, when they score points, like, hey, I'm getting close. Like, he's having fun with it. And then you got Casey Dunn, who acts like nothing's wrong. He's just so jovial after games. He's, oh, yeah, we, we're still – got a chance to win the big 12 championship just it's almost like no one's informed him what the numbers are it's like Colby, i'm convinced casey dunn just gets up in the booth calls the best plays he can and he doesn't have a scoreboard near him and he just kind of goes on memory and he's you know he's memory's probably not that good uh he he probably would be dumbfounded if you actually like put the numbers in front of him all those yards per play uh stats that he probably doesn't adhere to well those analytics those are just um you know you don't, you don't play football on a sheet of paper, Carson. You don't play football on a computer. <laughs> I mean, have you ever li- – did you listen – have you listened to his post games? It's like – Oh, yeah. Th- they had 200 yards total, and he's he acts like they scored 50. Uh, yeah, and last <laughs> week, after South Alabama, he said he felt better after he watched the tape. So I wonder how I feel this week. Yeah. Oh well, God. actually, we won't get to know. It's a bye week. No Monday presser. Uh, all right, Carson. Great stuff. Let's wrap. Appreciate everyone for listening, as always. Uh, I hope this was cathartic for some people at Colby J. Powell at Carson underscore OKC. Is that right? Yep. All right. Hit us up on uh, Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. Give us your thoughts. Appreciate everyone as always. Go Pokes.